This week's episode is brought to you by The Polar Room. Chirotherapy is the newest trend towards achieving optimal health and beauty. It's Left of Field with Danny Kavanagh. Hello, all you lovely Left of Field listeners. I am Danny Kavanagh and I'm back with another Ripper episode. Today, I'm going to sit down with Mick Barlow. He played for the Fremantle Dockers before finishing up his career at the Gold Coast Suns. He's a country kid who became a Brownlow favorite in his first season before a sickening leg injury. We chat all things country footy, life in the AFL, Ross line, and yeah, it's a really fun chat, so I hope you enjoy it. Mickey Barlow, welcome to the Left of Field podcast. Thank you for taking the time to chat to me today. No worries, Danny. Thanks for having me on. Looking forward to chatting and I've got a motto in mind already. You've uh, oh, a, few yeah. of you, a few of you, a few of your guests have been caught off guard. So look, I've got half an hour to forty minutes now just to prepare that motto. I've got about four or five to pick from, so a little bit of a long tease there for everyone listening. I know everyone will have to stick around. You're showing your professionalism. You've uh, stepping into the media now, and now you've come well prepared. No one's gonna catch you off guard. I almost could have got you. Uh, no, yeah, well, you, I'm sure uh, along the way you'll get me at some point. So no, looking forward to chatting and yeah, talk all things that were my career, but more importantly, what's happening post-career and what shaped me in that space as well. Yeah, well, let's just get straight into it. Tell us, straight from the beginning, Vic Country, were you always destined to pick up a Sharon? Yes, I was destined to pick up a Sharon, but also pick up a packet of Wilson tennis balls, Kookaburra cricket. Bat and ball and netball, whatever the brand of netball was back then. I played a bit of netball, a basketball. Like a lot of kids that grow up in the country or regional Victoria, I can't really claim a country upbringing. I was Shepparton. So Shepparton, two hours north of, of Melbourne, quite a, a, a regional centre of, of Victoria. Probably not to the level of Geelong, but similar to like a Bendigo and a Ballarat. So I was in town. I was a townie. Dad's a dentist. So I didn't want for much. Growing up, well, I'm one of five kids, so I didn't get everything brand spanking new, that's for sure. A lot of hand-me-downs, but my parents were always beacons of hope for, for all of my siblings and myself in terms of anything we wanted to do, you know, they would make sure we, we could get the opportunity to do it. And sport was probably right at the top of that top of that list. Um, I mentioned all the sports I played growing up, but throw swimming in there as well. And yeah, it was, it was a terrific upbringing. As a sporty kid, were you skillful on the footy field? Did you have no. natural talent from the beginning? <laughs> no. No, no, no. I my, my dad recalls, I think the first time I went and played Oz Kick, or Vic Kick it was called back then. And what was it called in WA, the early stages? Oz Kick. We just call it Oz Kick. Yeah, we call it Oz Kick over here now, but it used to be Vic Kick. Uh-huh. So that probably highlights the Victoria versus the rest uh, type of mentality in, in terms of Australian rules football. Mm-hmm. Quickly changed to Oz Kick. I reckon that was by the time I was into high school, but... I grew up, played Oz Kick. Dad thinks that I stood out on the wing in my very first match of, of Vic Kick and I think I came home with donuts in terms of possessions and influence on the game. So it was a slow start. And I think the discussion might have been had at some point. I can't recall it, but Dad would have had the discussion, look, maybe this isn't for you. But if it is, if you think if you want to keep doing it with all your mates, then probably pull your socks up and get to work. So it started to, to, to trend slowly from there, but never really naturally gifted to be honest in any sporting arena I'd say 
I was good at shooting three-pointers in basketball, keeping in cricket. So I was a good cricketer growing up, a better cricketer than I was a footballer, for sure, and made all the representative sides in cricket rather than footy growing up through high school and whatnot. And yeah, footy was something that developed a little bit later. I was always handy. I always tried my hardest, constant contributor, but never a superstar by any stretch of the imagination growing up. As a late developer, I guess that kind of foreshadowed you getting drafted late maybe to the AFL. Didn't go into the draft straight out of high school? I did. My mum put me in. It was very embarrassing, actually. She had <laughs> Number one supporter. Me up. <laughs> yeah, yeah. She, still might she might just be the, the trailblazer in that area of identifying talent early. I think a lot of parents think their kids are better than they actually are. My mum and dad, and I'm very happy with this element of their parenthood they didn't tell everyone that they thought their kids were quite good and talented in a certain area I, I was happy with that they did kind of give us some encouragement along the way and told us to believe in ourselves that we were probably better than we're giving ourselves credit for and, and that probably shows with mum nominating me for the draft when I was 18 despite not making any of the TAC cup squads that I was eligible for or having spoken to no one even remotely involved with state league football or a higher level of local football, let alone the AFL. So it took a while, but we, we got there in the end. But I think it was more that physical maturity and, and growing into my body a little bit that held me in really good stead. So you missed out on the draft then when you're a young kid and you go to university. What did you study and played for Shepherd and though you stayed in the country league? Yes. I was out of school, stayed in school, got school done, but I went to school at boarding school when I was 15 in year 10. So whilst I've been pumping my parents up a fair bit already across the early stages of this podcast, they also shipped me off to boarding school in year 10. So I wasn't doing everything right at home, but I followed the lead of my two older brothers. Dad went to the same boarding school, so off we went and played football at Assumption College. So it's quite a well-known footballing school in Yeah, fancy, fancy. Yeah, so I went there, loved my time there. Initially, I was probably a little bit homesick and wanted to come come back pretty quickly, but it was great fun. Like my, like the lifelong friends I made out of, out of that joint was amazing. I think that actually shaped me as, a, as the person I am today and probably helped a lot with some of the resilient elements of my football career down the track, living in that environment, going away to boarding school in year 10. So I played footy there, went pretty well. Like I, In year 12, I won the best and fairest there, so I started to developed probably at 17 into a handy, the enough player. Again, I think visually I, I wasn't seeing the world on fire. No one thought I was much good, but they used to take stats and I used to get a lot of the ball. So it was good because they put up the stats on a Monday at, on the on the board at school and you know my mates would be like, oh, you, you're not very good, but I'd have 35 possessions. So it was all very under the radar type of stuff. And that was probably my, my one would, my ability to find the footy and, I get a lot of it, and from there, yeah, really prioritised my studies. So I wanted to go to university, didn't really know what I wanted to study, and pursued urban planning and development at Melbourne Uni. So it's one of my great achievements is getting a, a university degree out of Melbourne University, spending 50000 on <laughs> on HEX, paid all of that off, and the good news is I'll never use it for a day, I don't think, is my plan anyway, going forward. So it's one of those things, I spoke about this last night, it's university degree, yes, I'm not going to work in that industry at the moment. very comfortable with what I'm doing and where I'm going and doing a good job of it at the moment. But the life lessons through university and, and boarding school and all of that have absolutely moulded me in, into the person I am today. Not not a perfect person by any, me- any measure, but someone that's 
seen a few things and can handle most situations, I think, pretty well. So you played for Shepparton for a few years, and what happened after that? Yeah, Shepparton United. Shepparton, they're the arch enemy, so awesome. we play for them. We hate them. We share the oval with them. So I played for Shepparton United out of school. Yeah, so lived in Melbourne, travelled back with my brother. Another story about my, my mum was coaching Shepparton United netball at the time. So we have a family connection with, with Shepparton United. Dominic and I, my brother, we were always going to travel back and play footy at home from uni of the weekend. So we're going to go back. But I got to Melbourne and I fell in love with this new big city and the perks of, of the nightlife of being 18 in, in the big city. And I was like, well, I want to go back to Shepparton on the weekend. So I decided to play footy at the university club. Mum and Dad had said, you don't go do what you want. The decision's yours. As soon as we made the decision to go to Uni Blacks, the club was, and rang and he said, I think uh, you should reconsider your decision. Your mother thinks you should reconsider your decision. So that was, whilst it was mainly our decision, um, according to them initially, they wanted us to come back. It was a good decision in the end. It was back back to Sheffield United. I played there for two years with my brother. Yeah, so it was there and then off to Werribee after that. And But in between there, you did have a pre-season at the St Kilda Footy Club. Talk to me about I what did. was that experience like? Obviously, Ross Lyon was there and you ended up being coached by him later. How was that pre-season and getting that first little taste of AFL footy? Is that what set you down the path of knowing that you're going to take this a bit more seriously? I reckon I've had the longest association with Ross Lyon from anyone at Fremantle. <laughs> Is that a good Actually, or a bad a, thing? Well, it should be a very good thing, even though down the track he does still list me. I still talk to him. Every now and then, I don't harass him too much. He's a very busy man nowadays, Ross. Well, he always has been. So that just came to me then. So I went and trained with St Kilda in 2007. And that was at the end of my two years at Sheffield United. And it kind of came from nowhere. And it was a great experience. It was, you said, you know, it was a good experience. What was it like? And it was great, but geez, it was daunting. It, it was one of those ones where when you're, so, you're really anxious about something that you don't even know if you should go. Because I didn't know where I was at or what level... I could go to. I had I had great self belief and, and drive. So you thought you could a, do the preseason what six eight weeks and then mm. get drafted by them? Was that the plan? Yeah, that was the plan. And like most plans, they don't really work. So six to eight weeks of training, and it was tremendous experience. I got there my first day. I was late. Well, I was. I thought I was early because Brian Peake, his name was. He was the list manager. He gave me the schedule and he said, "Oh, here's the schedule." I said, "Oh, no, no worries." So it's nine o'clock at the tan on a Monday morning. Okay, I can, I can do that. Again, I was a bit green still living in the city for, for two years, but I was still a bit green about where to drive and how to get to places. And It was all, all a bit foreign. So I drove there and I got there at nine, or just before nine actually. But as I got there, I saw a group of young, fit-looking men in St Kilda gear starting a time trial. So I thought, oh, gee whiz. So I'm a bit late here. So I jumped out of the car and they said, go chase them. So I ran around as fast as I could. And I was like, what's what is happening here? This is not a great start because I'm going to get there and meet everyone on was late. Ross just said to me, essentially, looked at me and goes, oh, um, you got to watch us. Or, or it was something very Ross Lionism, you know, you're on a watch or you know how to double time. So it was something, it was a great start between Ross and I. And to this day, I, I, he will remember that story. Cause really? So you remembered it? Did it ever come up when you eventually were coached yeah, at the Dockers? When he first came to the Dockers, I... Met him. I was a bit anxious about that as well because I was like, oh, well, I've trained with this guy and haven't, he didn't really want me. So Yeah, well, were you a bit bitter? Not really. That experience was tremendous. So six to eight weeks, as I said, I'll come back to the Ross story in a bit. But it was from day one, 
the rest of it was just I realised my potential and capacity to actually compete at that level. And it took me to places I hadn't been, like just the professionalism around eating and training and recovery and, and all of that. You pick it up really quickly from coming from a, a kid that was playing in the country and had never been really attached to elite programs. I got really close. The, the understanding was I was, you know, like, like they probably say to everyone in the draft, I was next man in. But they, they sent me off and said, look, go play VFL. That, that'll give you yourself your best opportunity to go into the AFL. So I did that. And yeah, that was the next step. So my take at home from that was I was really disappointed. Not bitter. I was sad. I cried. And I didn't think I'd cry because when I initially went in, I was like, I, this is, I don't care what happens. This is great. I can just tell everyone I've trained with an AFL club. But when I realized I had the capacity, that drove me very, very strongly over the next two years to get to the level eventually at, at Fremantle. So, but Ross, yeah, I did remember two years into my career at Freo, he became the Freo coach and he rocked up. My first interaction with him was, yeah, he goes, I remember. Yeah, I remember you. And we made a mistake and I don't think he, he shouldn't have said it like that because he never really owned up to his mistakes. He goes, mm-hmm. we took a guy called Glenn Chivers, who was also mm-hmm. training with me at the time. Mm-hmm. Glenn Chivers, yeah, they sacked him halfway into his first year. Well, his only year. And he goes, yeah, we probably mucked that one up. You know, you're coming from the country. The risk versus reward, it was a bit foreign back then. So we went with the under-18 kid that you know looked like Tarzan. Might have not played like Tarzan, but he looked like him. And he goes, it, it didn't work, so... He was, I suppose, at least accommodating the idea that I might have been able to make a run at it, and that I did. Yes, you did. So you obviously miss out on the draft that year and go and join the VFL, and you obviously had a standout year. I mean, your possession numbers were insane. How did you, the Dockers come along? How did you get onto their list? Mm. Yeah, so two years at Werribee. The first year was half forward I was playing, so it was, again, pretty new learning that ladder that you have to step up to get the opportunity to play in the AFL. It was half forward. Uh, we were aligned with North Melbourne, so it was a good opportunity to play alongside the AFL-listed players. But even from there, it was no guarantee I was going to, going to get a game every week, but I had a good year that first year, a solid year, but it was the year after that I really... The, the coach, Simon Atkins, was brilliant in my development. He just said, look, you should be on an AFL list. We're going to play you in all the positions to get you on an AFL list. And, you know, he did that. I played halfback, took the kick-ins, which, rightly or wrongly, probably didn't assist my ability to get drafted, but played on the wing, played through the middle, and played all these different roles. And he was, you know, really hard on me at that time as well, which was good. And then from there, I spoke to 10 clubs across that pre-season. Wow. And I thought, this is, this is it. This is the time. It's going to happen. The most keen from memory were Collingwood, Essendon, Sydney, and Brisbane. So... Frio, I spoke to once. Yeah, I spoke to once in the whole... I spoke to a lot of clubs a lot of times, had meetings with 10 clubs. The Frio one, I think, was essentially a text message saying, can you come to the office? And they make you do all this. I think they still do it. They probably would because David Walls is still in charge at Frio. He was there when under Brad Lloyd when I got drafted. And they made me do, like, these card games. And you walk out thinking, what the... You know, what have I done here? What What was that? <laughs> So I had no idea how I went. Still to this day, I actually don't know how I went on it. But I remember the morning of the rookie draft, I'd been training at Essendon and my manager rang me at the time and he said, you're going to get picked up by Frio in there with their second pick. That's confirmed. He goes, that's definitely happening. I've got absolute 100% confirmation on that. And then from there, I was a little bit nervous because Gold Coast had the first five picks in the rookie draft and I met with them 
and they weren't going to the AFL the next year. They were having their VFL year. So I, I really wanted to play at a club that you know I was getting pretty picky by this stage. I was like, well, you know, <laughs> I want to play at a club that's, that's playing AFL next year, and Gold Coast wasn't that. I'd go there eventually, but for the purpose of, of that draft day, uh, Freo took me with their first pick, so they lied to me. They picked me with their first pick, and I was a Fremantle docker. Are you looking for a new way to boost your overall health, fitness, and wellness? Why not give chirotherapy a go? Basically, it's a cool room you stand in in freezing temperatures for about three minutes, and afterwards, you feel amazing. Honestly, your muscles, your skin, and your overall health feels great. There are massive benefits to this type of therapy, and the Polar Room are offering all you listeners 20% off your first session. So why not go in and give this trend a go and see what you think for yourself? Came over to the West. You made it into round one of your first year, had a pretty stellar first game. You were flying high, an incredible start, 33 touches, two goals. Started really strong. And then uh, on your way to Brownlow, actually, what were you, third, coming third when you got injured? Oh, it's too long ago now. I think I was coming third, but I was Chris Judd was a mile ahead. The Brownlow was, but then he whacked Pav in one of the one of the games that year and should have got suspended. So if that had a came to fruition, I was still playing. I was half a chance, but with Chris Judd not getting suspended for his king hit on Matthew Pavlich, which was bullshit, he gets Jazz Brownlow by an absolute streak. But you already suffered that injury setback. Now tell us about that gruesome leg injury. And can you remember the day? Do you remember it happening? And yeah. Legs aren't meant to go that way. That's what I learned pretty quickly. And I've told this story story a bit, and it, I'm I'm really fine with it. Even at the time, I was riding the wave of of a dream and, and a, an experience that I thought was just unattainable for so long in the AFL. So people often ask me, was it bitter and twisted about how you were going, and it was taken away from you? Well, my opinion was it wasn't really taken away from me. That I'd given myself the opportunity to be in, in that environment, and I'd signed a two year contract and. I loved Perth and I loved Fremantle and it was all good. Probably didn't understand how difficult it was going to be to get back to a level that somewhere near my best. And that was probably a two to three year process. The day itself, we were flying. I think we were fourth on the ladder and we were smacking Port Adelaide and it was two minutes to go. And it was one of those brief moments that you probably start to just think, this is pretty cool. Like it's, I'm going pretty well. Life's good. I'm going to chalk up another win. We're going to go play finals and, I'm in good form myself, and then, yeah, it all comes crashing down pretty quickly. So, from the memories of the injury, I can't really recall too much, but just from the big contact. And then, by the time I was off the field, I was riding high on morphine, so it was quite a blur from there on out. And that green whistle saved you there. <laughs> yeah. Had you been injured before? Were you mentally prepared to deal with that? I hadn't really, no. And I tend to tread very, very cautiously nowadays with talking about injuries and now I've had a actually probably very horror run with injuries since I started playing the AFL but up to that point I hadn't been injured and I remember I said in the in the pre-game pre-game one just before we went out that I'd never had an injury and never needed strapping so it's not the right thing to say to curse yourself so it all came yeah crashing down pretty quickly that day <laughs> when about uh, four hours after saying that I would miss the next 12 months of footy. And you were out for a while and then you obviously made it back in and fused down the track. The Dockers are playing finals, grand final. What was that experience like? 
Pretty cool. Yeah, so that was probably the point where I got back to a level somewhere near my best that year, 2013. That was my best year, full year. I think I did play a full year from memory or, or not. I missed a couple of games, but it was a bit of a whirlwind. The second half of that year, we... Was that the game where you guys played, was it the final in Geelong that year? Yeah, yeah. so yeah, no one gave us a chance. We are going down there to get beaten by the Cats and come home and have to play the next week, but the script wasn't written for us. Ross said to, to us that we write our own script and hold our own destiny in our hands. So that was as memorable a match as, as I've ever played in. So from there, it all happened super quick. And Sydney came and went in the prelim and, and we had an opportunity to win a AFL grand final, but didn't come off. We've touched on Ross a few times already. What was he like as a coach? Obviously, I bet you've been asked this question a lot and mm. we've seen obviously a bit more of a softer side to him now. I feel the true side since he's joined the media. <laughs> Could you give me one of your or a favourite or infamous Ross stories while you were at the Dockers and what was he yeah. actually like to you? Well, don't be too fooled. He's still still pretty venomous. Yeah, I think that the media gig has shown his wit and his ability to game like no one I've ever met. He's very funny. Very funny, but my experiences with him were always really good and really honest and really genuine. So sometimes those honest, genuine discussions aren't exactly how you'd like them them to go, but at the same time, he had all of his players that invest in team first and their own careers and each other. He treats them like his own children. And I was fortunate to be in a period where a good majority, nearly everyone who kind of played at Fremantle under that, 2012, probably the 2015 period, we were a part of that brotherhood and and Ross was the head of that brotherhood and it was tremendously special. You obviously would have got a few sprays from him across your time. I did. Is there one you'd like, one that comes mm. to mind? Lee Spur and I kept a book in 2013 and it was pretty much titled Mix Sprayed. And through rounds one to six, I had received one per game. I think round one was probably kicking off one step. Round two, I got sprayed after the game whilst I was naked after a shower for <laughs> giving away a 50. Round three, I gave away another 50. It was, I haven't got a track record. So I had a big mouth in round three, Mick and his big mouth. Round four, I probably went up third man up and, and hit the ball too far away from the stoppage and that wasn't part of the game plan in not subtle messaging from Ross. But um, yeah, that lasted for about six, seven weeks. Then I started to turn the wheels and he was back on board my train. But I've got to admit, Gary Hibbertson was probably the, the guy that, that caught his wrath the most. And I would think sometimes it was a little bit unfair to Garrick. He, he copped a spray one day when he had let Luke Bruce kick the goal. And Luke Bruce had kicked the goal. He pushed off Garrick. And Garrick had to go, go to the bench because his shoulder had come out. He had flimsy shoulders. And then the siren went. Ross came down and goes... Garrick, blah, 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 what are you doing with Luke Bruce? Maybe put a bit more body on. Again, not so subtly. And Garrick's there trying to put his shoulder back in. Ross just goes, mate, put your shoulder back in later. Listen to me now. So, (laughs) yeah, time doesn't wait for Ross Lyon, I'll tell you that much. But Garrick copped a few. There's not many that missed. Even Pav Pav copped a few. So if Pav's getting them, you're in good company and you know when when you get one, you probably deserve one. No one is safe. So how did your time finish up at Frio? Yeah, the 2016 year was a pretty tough year on field. I was probably the most settled I felt off field for some time. 
in Perth and in Freo. I was really comfortable with life there. That's what probably made the year on field probably not. Well, I was in a really good headspace at all and kind of had a really good understanding of where everything was going halfway through the year. I felt probably a little bit hard done by in terms of my output was still pretty good. I played the first half of that year, got dropped for about round five. Yeah, came back after that period and tagged, played quite well, did some good roles. That was the writing was on the wall, like the, the new wave was coming, they were going to prioritise the youth and go to the draft and, and I didn't have a contract, so it was that was my discussion with Ross and Chris Bond at the end of that trade period, which is quite timely because that's about to happen now. But I remember that trade period came and went and I didn't get traded and my meeting would have been the next week and I knew that I wasn't going to be a renewed a contract. I hadn't been told that now. There's enough. When you're in that AFL system, you have a good awareness of what's going on around you. So off I went, and it was curtains. We, we probably didn't agree on on where it all sat. I still felt like I, at 28 years old, Matt DeBall was fairly similar. Matt DeBall was 25. The reasoning was that we're going to look to play younger players. So Matt DeBall was probably more stiff than I, and I'm, I'm thrilled for a player like him that's gone on and shown... You know, the real capacity and, and the mental drive and resilience that, that guy has because that was a real trademark, I think, of our group at that period, the the, the successful period, a real collectiveness and doing a role for the team. And Matt DeBoer has been able to go and do that at another club and, and chalk up 200 AFL games. So that kind of career sums up the character of, of the Fremantle Football Club between those years of 2010, I'd, I'd say, and probably the year before, 2009, before I got there till probably 2015. They decided they wanted to play the younger, less skilled players. Did that bother you at the time? It did. <laughs> yeah, it does. It does. It does, and you have to handle it. Everyone handles it a bit differently. I, at times, you feel like you let yourself go. Yeah, you might handle it and carry yourself around the club, which, again, I talk about Matt DeBoer in that period, that year. He, he just handled himself tremendously. A bit of a different element to my year, I suppose. I, I got back and played some really good footy and was playing in the AFL side, but then injured myself horrendously again with a shoulder injury towards the back end of that year. You know, that probably ruled out any opportunity to get traded or, or have any say on, on where I wanted to go because it was really severe and probably career-threatening to a point that I had to get some pretty extensive medicals at two clubs in particular to see if, if I was able to play at any level, I suppose, going forward past that in late October 2016. And, yeah, Gold Coast was still interested went. even with the injury? Well, there was two clubs interested. I spoke to a few clubs, but there was two that, Kind of once that delisted free agency period opened up, where I essentially had offers from two, and Gold Coast was one, obviously, and the offer was really good. And I'd always remembered 2016, it was a horrible year for Freo, but round two, we played the Gold Coast, and it was unbelievable how much they pulled our pants down. And the way they did it, I was like, this club could do anything. This list of players, Aaron Hall had been best on ground the first three games of the year, Gary Ablett was playing brilliantly through the middle. Tom Lynch was kicking five and they had a stable back. I was just like, what? If they get it right, I just couldn't figure out what was going on. If they get it right, they'll be, they could be anything. So that drove my decision, essentially. It was a risky one because Rocket Ebe was under the pump and he only ended up last uh, half a year into my two-year contract and that, again, was probably a telltale sign that I was probably at the wrong place after the initial stint, which it started out quite well until yeah, breaking the leg again. What was the culture like at the Gold Coast at that time that you arrived? It was fine, yeah. And I think it's fairly careful how, how I say it. I think there were some, yeah, definitely some misconceptions in terms of how they were behaving. And 
what was going on off the field. I understand. I think there was an element of immaturity, which naturally stemmed from being a young club and learning on the run. Maybe they didn't have the greatest role models. And I think they're, they're quite open in saying that the, the greatest role models as professional athletes for, for the guys that came in as 17 and 18-year-olds, and that might have set them back a few years, which is, I think, being seen now. They're starting to really turn the table and have some some really, really solid citizens that are investing at, at that club. My take on it, they were no word, like playing at three men a little quite successful through my period. You know, we like to have a good time and, and go for a beer and, and go out and carry on at times, all pretty well above board, of course. But at the Gold Coast, it was even more above board. It was a tremendous group of young men that you'd be happy to date your sister or that, that type of stuff. So it's a lot of misconceptions potentially just didn't have the greatest work ethic in terms of training and an application of task in, the, in that sense. And that just took a while to get going. Yeah, loved, loved my time up there, albeit quite short time. You clearly love the game so much now that your playing career, well, in the uh, top league has finished, but you're still around the sport. What are you doing now with your time over there in Melbourne? Mm. Yes, yeah, so I'm in Melbourne. Definitely have a, have a soft spot for Perth. And yeah, spending seven years there and probably coming back to or going to the Gold Coast and then having that two years, just kind of opened my eyes to, I missed, missed out on a lot of family time over the nine-year career. So to get back home and spend a couple of years back here, it's been good for the soul. I'm at the moment working for Simon Black Academy. I'm you know, the head coach and academic tutor for cohort here in Melbourne. They've, we've got academies in Brisbane, Adelaide and Perth. So that's all going very well. And I've just taken on a role as player coach for a local football club over here, as well as doing bits and pieces of, of media work when, when the time permits. So I still have a passion in the media space and called a game for 6PR last year or, or the year before. When was it last year? And fell in love with that as well. So I'm still pursuing my calling play-by-play. Oh, we play can play more stuff. games, hopefully, in the next season? Well, hopefully. The coronavirus didn't really help with budget cuts all over the shop, but I've been practising. I'm standing by. I'm ready to go. One game. And I would have yeah, marked myself maybe a six and a half, seven, seven out of ten. But for first first starter, pretty good. Yeah, hoping to get more opportunity in that space down the track. Need to mute the TV and have a little practice at home. That's what I do. It's how I do. I look like a fool when my girlfriend walks in from Saturday brunch. But you got to do what you got to do. Adam Papalia, who's one of my confidants in this space, said he used to have to go to waffle games and sit on the hill around people and call it. So it was a bit more publicly embarrassing for Paps, but now absolutely flying with uh, 6PR, obviously, Fox footy. Yeah, actually, and for anyone who's listening to this as it drops, you'll actually be on air tomorrow with Papalia Saturday afternoon. I am. So people can maybe uh, tune in there. Here's some, see how you go in the media. 5 till 6 p.m. Western Standard Time. We're talking mostly cricket. So uh-huh. as I said earlier in the podcast, I'm a great cricketer. So this is right in my hitting zone. Some of your time. expert opinions. Who is Mick Barlow away from the footy field? Yeah, I like to turn the TV on mute and watch football and, and commentate, <laughs> obviously. So that's, that's one thing we've got I was at. I'm pretty relaxed away from footy. I'm, I'm fortunate to still be kind of working in footy, so it's quite consuming. But I think the pursuit of this media stuff and and investing in upskilling myself in that area is still a real passion of mine. That's something that's ticking along in the background. But again, as I mentioned just moments ago, in terms of being back in Victoria, has been critical, I suppose, a lot for my 
headspace at times to, to be close to family and friends, all about this COVID year. hasn't really helped with that too much. Yeah, I lo- love my family, love my big group of friends and love to be involved as much as I can and enjoying exactly what I'm doing now. But looking forward to what lies ahead. Perfect. And obviously, uh, heading into the trade period and draft and all of that, and obviously you being a late draftee and have gone through the system yourself quite successfully, any tips you'd give to any young kids out there? Mm, I think it's just about concentrating on what's ahead. But not dwelling on, on what, what's happened in the past, good, bad, or indifferent, and embrace the good, be ambitious, and yeah, don't let others define decisions or your own pathway. Really write your own story is, is a great Ross Lyonism and something that I haven't done perfectly the whole way through, but it's something I'm, I'm continuing to work on and, and trend in the right direction. And big drum roll, here's your shining moment that we tease to all the listeners at the beginning of the show. What is a motto then that you like to live each day by? Yeah, so similar to what I discussed then, it's don't look back, you're not going that way. So yes, acknowledge some things that happened in the past. Again, good, bad, indifferent, but it's what lies ahead that, that ultimately defines you. And a lot can change in a short amount of time. The future is, is all we need to concern ourselves with. Love it. Great. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to chat to us today. It was a great insight to get to learn more about your career. I mean, it, the West is a great spot, so you should definitely come back here. Mm. But we look forward to seeing big things from you in the media sphere next year. No, looking forward to that, Danny. Thanks for that. Yeah, and, and looking forward to listening to this back and catching up on a couple of your, your previous episodes as well. So thanks for having me. No worries, Nick. Thanks. Have a good one. You too. If you're still listening, thank you. You made it to the end of another episode of the Left of Field podcast. I'd just like to thank you for all your support and I hope that you enjoy these chats I bring you. Why don't you go onto my Instagram, Left of Field, and let me know if there's anyone, any particular sport that you'd love to kind of get more of an insight into. I've touched on quite a few different ones, but I'm always open to suggestions. Have a great week and I'll be back again next week. Goodbye.